God's Word. This morning we are in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through uh, 26. We'll finish out chapter 2 today. This is the Word of the Lord. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 through 26. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, arrogant conversations, you know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servants must be not quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may per perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Here we are in this small letter written to Timothy, Paul's protege in Ephesus. Ephesus was a church that Paul uh, planted, and now Paul is in the Roman prison waiting to be executed. And there's things that are happening to the church that Paul started, that he placed Timothy to pastor, both internally and externally in the church. So there's opposition happening externally in the uh, to the church, and internally there are things. We saw that last week, that there's a few men inside the church that were beginning to teach a false doctrine, and Paul is saying to Timothy, go after those people. And this passage from 14 to 26, if it's in title in your Bible, it's all about for us, how do we become men and women who are approved by God to do God's work that he set out for us to do. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians. We are created by God for what? Good works. We can only do good works when we're approved by God. The only way to be approved by God is through our salvation. And so Paul is saying, he's imploring Timothy, continue on in the work that God has placed in you and that I commissioned you to do at the church. And Paul is saying to Timothy, because Timothy is getting very discouraged. Very discouraged. And he's becoming timid or fearful in his work that God's called him to. I don't know if that's ever been true for you. And God's called you to something, and because it becomes hard or difficult, you get discouraged. You want to give up, you want to quit. And that's where Timothy is at. And so Paul is writing, pleading with him to do that. And now Paul is going to come into this section to remind him and to remind us about the church. So we see that in the first part of the passage. He says, now in a great house, circle that word great house, what Paul is talking about, he's not talking about a mansion. He's not talking about a physical house. He is talking about a, the kingdom of God, the church. And so he's saying, in the church, there's going to be these two things. There's going to be these two types of vessels, some that are gold and silver and others that are wood and clay, some that are honorable and some that are dishonorable. So he's saying to Timothy, don't be surprised that in the church 
There is those who are both honorable to God and those who are dishonorable to God. That is true, will always be true in the church. And so, but what we have to ask ourselves, are we the honorable ones or the dishonorable ones? Because that's what this passage is going to talk to us about. Paul's going to push us all the way to the end to talk to us about the dishonorable ones that are being used for evil rather than good. So we have to ask ourselves, am I being used by God for good or am I being used by Satan for dishonorable things? And this is what he says. His whole desire is in that first section. He's going to come back uh, in verses 24 through 26 to reemphasize this uh, part of the passage. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will become a vessel for honorable use set apart for holiness. And so for us this morning, the first question you have to ask yourself, I have to ask, we collectively have to ask us, is there anything in my life that is dishonorable? If there's anything in my life that is dishonorable, it's what Paul is saying to us in the passage. We must come to a place, though it doesn't use these words, he is saying we must come to a place of confession and repentance. That's what it means to cleanse ourselves. To cleanse ourselves means we are admitting that there's things in my life that are dishonorable to God. Now here's what's true. All of us in this room have those things in us. They may not come out of us, but they're in us. And so this morning, the first thing is this. We can both be dishonorable and honorable at the same time. And therefore, we must continue in our walk with Jesus to be honorable. The way we are honorable is through confession and repentance. And so we want to be truthful about that. That's our whole goal here at Powell's Chapel. Do we have a place that we can talk about the dishonorable things in our life? Not just to God, but to one another. Remember what James says, we are to confess our sins to one another and that therefore we are to pray for one another so that there's healing. There's a misconception in the church that says all I have to do is to confess to God. Though that's true, there's another piece of the component that we are to use each other for confession and prayer for healing. But what does state want us to do? He, want us to, he wants us to stay in hiding, not to truly confess, and to continue on in our dishonorable use. And so, Paul is saying here in these first few verses, 20 and 21, is there anything in your life, is there anything in my life that I must confess? Because I want to and I have a desire to be set apart as holy. Remember what Jesus and James says. We are called to holiness. Be holy for what? I am holy. How do we become holy? It's through cleansing. How do we come to cleansing? It's through confession and repentance. Confession simply means this. I agree with the Lord on what is sin and what is not. Repentance is I'm now turning from what I'm confessing. We can't just have confession. That's what happens in a booth in the Roman Catholic Church. There's confession, but there's not true repentance. Therefore, they have to continue to go to confession. And so Paul is saying you have to have confession and repentance, therefore you're cleansed. When you're cleansed, you're set apart. That's what it means to be holy. Holiness means to be set apart. And then what are we to be set apart for? Ready for every good work. 
Here's what's true. If there's sin in your life, there's sin in my life, I will never be ready because I want to protect the sin. And in protecting the sin, I won't be ready because I'll be defending something here rather than going after something there. So is there true confession and repentance? And are we being set apart for holiness, useful for what? The master's work. We've been talking about this over and over. God has a purpose and a plan for you. Set apart for you from the foundations of the world. That is unique to every single one of us. And now that has to be accomplished through being set apart and being holy. Ready for every good work. So first and foremost, is there anything in your life, my life, the life of this church, that we must come to a place of confession so there's cleanliness in us? Not so that we're of dishonorable use, but for honorable use. And now Paul is going to tell us, well, how are we to do that? He says this, two things. In verses 22 through the following. He says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace among with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, arrogant conversations. You know that they breed quarrels. So here's what he says. You must do two, two things. And these two things hold hands together. Oftentimes we read this passage and we think one comes before the other. No, these two things must happen simultaneously in the life of a believer. You must first <clears throat> and second flee and pursue. So we think I got to flee one thing so I can flee that, but pursue this. No, we must flee and pursue simultaneously. And so what are we to flee? And then what are we to pursue as we flee? And what are we to flee as we pursue? So that's the rhythm that Paul is calling us to do here at the church he says this so we are to flee youthful passions now we can read that text and we can simply think this youthful passions is simply sexual desires that is not true in the text so what is he talking about that we are to flee youthful passions and he's not saying hey you youth flee those things he's saying universal we all, whether you're mature or immature, in your walk with Christ, you must flee youthful passions. What are some of those things? We just see those throughout the text. One would be this. We see it throughout the text. One of the youthful passions, if we're honest, is power and control. I guess youthful people, do we not want power and control? And, and so we are to flee those things. What, what, remember what happened with the two disciples with Jesus. They had this desire for power, this desire for control. Remember what they said to him near the end of the journey. They said, hey, grant us the power and control to sit on your right hand, on your left hand. And so if we're honest with ourselves, there's things in us that want that kind of power and control. And we must flee those things. That would be called a, a place of I need what I need to take care of myself because I don't really trust that the Lord is in power and in control. It's exposing who we think is in control. Are we or is he? And so the first level of the first place that we are to avoid or flee or to escape is power and control. The next one is this. We see this all over the text. Though it's not 
explicit in this text. We can see it throughout other places in the text. A place of impatience. And he tells us that in the text, he says we must have we must patiently endure. How often do we and are if we're truthful with ourselves, our youth that patient? I just asked Pastor Jay, he's the youth pastor, he ought to know that answer. No. Youth want what they want when they want it, and they want to get it now. And now, even more so than ever before, it's at their fingertips to get it right away. Burger King says it best, my way, right away. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is about patience, not impatience. Because when we're impatient, we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. Sometimes the work of the Lord takes a long time in us before it ever gets out of us. Are we impatient? Remember Jesus over and over again, who he confronts, Peter, with his impatience. Is there anything in your life and in my life that we're impatient about? That is what Paul's saying, then flee those things. The next is this, pride. He talks about that in the previous verses. The, the pride is this. I always want, always want to be right. Is that true for anyone in the room? Like, I'd rather be right than wrong. And I'm going to make sure I'm right than wrong. And I'm going to win every debate. Well, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 25. Whoever would lose his life what? Save it. But whoever will save his life, for whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is a place of pride. That verse is about pride. And how often are we trying to save our lives? Jesus calls us to be losers. Everyone's like, I don't want to be a loser. Well, you got to be a loser. Because in order to have a life, you have to lose the life that you think you've got to have. And in order to do that, you've got to kill pride. Pride is being a winner. Prideful people, they always win. I promise that. Now, they lose in the end. But those that lose in the beginning will find what? Life in the end. Is there any areas of your life that you're not willing to let go of for the sake of winning? How many arguments with your spouse, if you just became a loser, would be squashed? If we're honest, when we get in arguments with our spouse, it's because we want to win. We want to be heard. We want to defend the truth. What if we just surrendered and be like, okay. I know I'm guilty of that. Guilty as charged. Over and over in other conversations, I want to be right. And I want to be heard. And how many times ought I just walk away from things? Remember Jesus himself. Of any man that could have defended himself, he kept his mouth shut. Remember, he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and there's accusation after accusation after accusation come to Jesus. And what it says in Isaiah is he kept his mouth closed. Who lost and who won? Jesus lost for a moment, but he won eternity. Is that not true for you 
and I. On and on and on we could go. Remember what Proverbs says about pride. It says this. Pride goes before the what? Destruction or the fall. If you're falling all over your life, look up and see if there's any pride in your life. And now he says, not only are we to flee these things, but we are to pursue some things as well. So are we fleeing power? Are we fleeing impatience? Are we fleeing pride? Are we fleeing sexual immorality? And are we pursuing? The word pursuit means to set in a quick motion or to continue to run after something. And look what he tells us, to run after quickly as we flee these things. He says these four things, we are to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But how does he tell us to do it? Read in the text with me. He he says this, we are to do it with what? A pure heart. So if we're pursuing these things, but we're not pursuing them from a pure heart, I promise you're not really pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. It's a heart motivation. So first we've got to ask ourselves, where is my heart in all of this? Those four things he says to do. The first one is this. We are to pursue, in verse 22, righteousness. What does righteousness mean? We are to pursue a right living. A right conduct. Is your life and in my life in right conduct with how God's called me to live life? This is righteous living. So the first thing we are to do is righteous living. The next thing he calls us to do is faith. Faith, a better translation would have been this. Faithfulness. Not just faith, but as my life faithful and as I have a faithfulness to God. Am I pursuing faith? The next one is this, love. With a pure heart, am I pursuing love? Now that word love simply means this, it's the word agape, but it has everything to do with how am I loving God and loving one another? Paul writes, an exhaustive list of what love looks like in Corinthians chapter 13. Is that true of you, the way that you love God and that you, the way that you love one another? Because he's going to tell us here in a moment, if we don't have these things in place, then what, what he's calling us to do in verses uh, 25 through 26 is going to be impossible. Because those, those verses are about confrontation. So he's saying, I need you to flee these things. I need you to pursue these things because life is about to get hard because you're going to have to go confront some people. But if I don't flee these things and pursue righteousness and faith and love, and I don't come with love after someone else, then that confrontation is not going to go well. Because then he says to us, you are also ought to what? Have peace. That word peace has everything to do with relationship. Remember what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, you are to what? Live peacefully with one another. So the question is this, 
for us this morning is this. In my life, am I fleeing power? Am I fleeing impatience? Am I fleeing pride? Am I fleeing sexual immorality? And am I pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace? Because now Paul's going to say, hey, now you're going to have to take care of the problem inside the church. Ugh. He's going to tell us you, there has to be moments of confrontation. Anybody like confrontation? I love it. Like sign me up for it. Now, I don't always do it out of a righteous life, a faith life, a love, or a peace. I, I do it because I, I'm impatient. I want power and I want control. But, man, sign me up for confrontation. I'm not saying I do it healthily. I was telling Jenny last night, I think this passage is for me more than anyone else in this church. Because I'm about to get on a plane, and, a, and, a, and a, that just terrified me. It's like a big old pterodactyl. It's a wasp, but it started flying around. It had wings the size of a plane. I, sorry about that. I got nervous real fast. Oh. Anyway, I'm about to get on a plane and go down and confront someone. And there's this, these internal, like, part of me is like, yes, stick it to them. I'm like, that's not healthy. And as, as I was pr preparing for this passage, I was like, Todd, please, please do it in righteousness, faith, love, and peace. So that the outcome can be possible. Because here's the outcome. He says this. Here's what you are to do in confrontation, verses 23 through 25. He says this, have nothing to do with foolish, arrogant conversations. You know that they breed quarrels, and the, ser the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome. The first thing we are, we are to do is not to be quarrelsome. We are not to pick fights for the, sake of, uh, uh, for the sake of picking fights. Anyone like to do that? I mean, I'm honest, I do. I can't be the only one in this place. Okay, thank you. A good fight sometimes, like, yeah, man, okay, I'm still alive. That's just not healthy. R remember what James says about fighting and quarrels. And this is what we have to check our hearts with when it comes to fighting and quarrelsome and then even confrontation. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not your desires that are waging war within you? What are the desires that we just talked about? Power, patience. Control, demanding. So the first thing that Paul says to us when it comes to healthy confrontation, what are the things that we must lay down? What are the passions and desires? Because there cannot be quarrels and fights among us. A confrontation is not a fight. A confrontation is simply this. I'm going to bring all of my heart to your heart. That's what Jesus did with the gospel. The gospel is full of confrontation. Your eyes just went up, man. I looked up too. I was like, okay, sorry. There, there has to be something in me. And so what is in me that has to go to confront? Paul tells us a confrontation is for the gospel, for repentance and restoration. So if my goal for the fight, my goal for the, the, the argument, my goal for the confrontation is not for the sake of the gospel to win someone over, then I'm doing it out of pride. Confrontation is about restoration. But how many of us have fights that never lead to restoration? It's because we want to be right. 
rather than we want than we, than we want to restore. So he's saying this, you cannot have quarrels among you. So lay down your desires. And then he says this, so if you're not to do that, you are to do this. With This is how you are to do healthy confrontation. Look at the passage with me. But in, be kind to everyone. Are we kind to everyone? Kindness. Wanting what is best for them. He says this next. Not only are you to be kind, but you must be able to teach. Now why would he throw that in there? Kindness, but be able to teach. Because the confrontation must always be this. So if I do not know this, I do not need to confront anybody. This is the truth, and this is what sets people free. So I must be able to know and to teach God's word, even in my confrontation. If my confrontation does not point people back to this, it is no confrontation at all. It's manipulation, but it's God's word. I must show this. Are you able to teach? I don't mean come up here and teach. Not what the passage is talking about. What the passage is, do you know, we've seen that throughout these first two chapters of 2 Timothy. Do you really know God's word? God's word is our greatest weapon of offense. Are we using God's word for correction and rebuke? We're going to see that here in a few weeks. That is what he tells us, right? In 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is breathed out by who? God, not Todd. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you know God's holy word? The next thing he says to us is this. Not only are you be able to teach, but you are to patiently endure evil. Ugh. How many of us want to cut evil off at the legs quickly? But he calls us to be patient. Think about the patience and kindness of the Lord. Like if God was not patient and kind with us, his wrath would be thrown out all over, all over the world quickly. But it's his patience, what? His patience that will lead to repentance. He tells us that over and over in his word. And now he's saying we must do the same. Let's have patience as we endure evil. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't use the first two, that we're not kind and that we don't continue to confront with kindness. I'm not going to just take one for the team over and over and over again. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about I'm going to continue to confront as I continue to hit uh, um, uh, uh, an obstacle. How many of us, that first wave of evil pursuit happens to us? We're like, yep, deuces, I'm out of here. But we must wait patiently with the Lord, and not run from it. How come? He says, so that we can correct his opponents. All this is for correction. And then he tells us, how are we to correct? With gentleness. Now here's the word, and here's where 
most people are like, gentle, yeah, right. The word gentle means this, it means meekness. Now, meekness, when we hear that word, we're like, yeah, don't, don't sign me up for that. I'm a man, I'm, I'm not going to be meek. Maybe you're a woman, I, I don't want to be meek. So we have this connotation about meekness that is just simply not true. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Now, I say it often here, I'm terrified of horses. If your eyeball is bigger than my head, I'm not getting on your back. I just promise. Like a horse's eyeball is about this big. That's how it looks like to me. But think about a horse, how much power a horse has. And an untamed horse can be very destructive. But what does a horse need? It needs to be tamed. It needs to have power under control. It needs a rider to harness all that power and all that control in a positive direction. That is true for me and you. We must be meek. We must have all this power that is in us, but it must be controlled by one person and one person only. It's not you or me. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must take the reins of your life. Because if not, you are a destructive human being. Remember what James says about just our tongue. A small smart from our mouth can set this place ablaze. That's a lot of power. What he's saying to us, hey, when you go confront, you must do it with power that's submitted or under control of the Holy Spirit. Is that true? For you and me. And he says, this is the reason we do these things. This is the reason that we have healthy confrontation. This is the reason that we're kind. This is the reason we're able to teach. This is the reason we're patient. This is the reason we're gentle and have meekness. God may perhaps grant them what? Repentance. So we can be a conduit of God's grace and repentance when we go bring God's truth to God's people. Says this, and that they may come to their senses. Unhealthy, unholy, what, what Paul says in this, unhonorable use vessels are beyond their senses. They're not thinking straight. Remember in Luke chapter 15. Remember that young boy, that the prodigal son, what he did, he squandered all of his living. And then there's this verse. The linchpin of the whole passage, it says this, and he came to his senses. He came back to himself, and coming back to himself, what did he do? He confessed and returned. And so we want to lead people to get back to their senses so they confess and return, and that God will grant them repentance. Our whole motivation for confrontation is for Repentance and holiness. Leading to the knowledge of the truth. Not my truth, the truth. So they come back to their senses. And that they escape the snares of the devil. Being captured by him to do his will. That is what happens with unholy vessel. They are captured by the enemy to do the enemy's will, not the Lord's will. Satan wants to use people inside the church, unholy vessels, 
to do one thing. It's destroy the church. The greatest opposition of the church is not external. The greatest opposition of this church and the church universal will happen within the church, not outside the church. We've seen that historically through the Bible. Paul just mentioned it. Hey, there's these two knuckleheads in the Bible. He says, he calls them by name. There's a lot of times you don't want to be called by name. This is one of those places. Then these two men are trying to destroy the church. They're not outside the church. They're in the church. Think about the history, the 150 years of just of this church. How much opposition historically has happened outside this church? Not very much. One of the stories that I was told about how this church got started was that there was a pastor. He preached God's word with great boldness. And there was a guy sitting in the pew that did not like what he had to say. He went home, got his buggy, came back and took the whole church down and put it on his buggy and took all the lumber back. That wasn't some dude down the street. That was a guy sitting in a pew. Think about all the conversations and all the malice that's happened literally from the color of carpet. That, that's, not fa- that's not like a made-up story. That literally happened. That happens all over the church in, in America. The silly, silly, silly conversations that divide the church. How come? Because Satan is using unholy vessels inside the church to do his will. What is his will? It's to take down the church. How come? Because Paul says it. The church is one thing. It is the hope of the world. And the church is not a building. The church is a people. And so Satan wants to destroy the people of the church to take down the the, the hope of the world. And Paul is saying to us, please confront that. But how do we confront it? We must do it as we pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. But we must be kind, able to teach, patient, and gentle so that that man or that woman will come to a place of confession and repentance so that they would be able to be used by God, not by Satan. So what is it for us this morning as a way of application? What is true for you and me? Is there anything in our lives that we must confess of that is keeping us from being holy vessels? Confess that. Here's what's true about all that. If you are here this morning and you do do not know Christ Jesus, you are an unholy vessel. Now, I don't like having to say that, but I have to say that. If you are here, you have not repented of your sins, turned from them, and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an unholy vessel. Now, I'll say this. It takes a lot of courage for you to come into this building. So I'll give you that. But courage to come in this building is not what will save you. Repentance will save you. Church, if you're here this morning, And there's anything in you that is unholy, unfit, dishonorable. Confess that to the Lord so that you can be used by God as a holy vessel who accomplishes his good work and his good pleasure. And that is that we would be the hope of the world. We are a place that's set on top of a hill to give the light to a dark world. We cannot do that if we're unholy vessels. May we, in this moment, 
take internal perspective about ourselves that would lead us to confession and repentance. Let me pray for us.